Good morning. I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. I don't know how you feel, whether it's thankfulness or nostalgia or whatever, but as of now, I'll only say that one more week. We're on commandment number nine. So we'll be looking there in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. I want to uh, thank you all for being here this morning, and we want to remember our teams. It's a uh, glorious gift that God has given us to be able to send out those from amongst us to reach those who need the gospel. And so as we this morning have so many um, being shuttled to the airport and heading to Alaska and getting there. I tell everybody when you go on a mission trip, there's two things you got to know. You got to first, you got to be flexible. And second, you got to know that everything happens for a reason. Um, I'm thankful for the leadership in this trip. Since I've been here, I've received an email every day on how to pray for our Alaska teams that are going every single day. And so I'm thankful knowing that this trip has been covered in prayer. And as they go, Kevin and Scott going with them, as they uh, go and lead that with Miss Diane, I'm trusting the Lord that God will use them in a mighty way. So let's continue to pray for them. And, of course, today is Father's Day. I'm thankful today for a father, as many have said, who has loved me and taught me the gospel, I cannot express how uh, I cannot express enough how important dads are. I can't express enough how important dads are, whether it's a biological father, adoptive father, stepfather. No matter what it may be, no matter what position you may be in, simply a mentor leader, Father. No matter what position you may, in, may be in, I know the importance of a father who not only loves the Lord, but teaches their children to love the Lord. And so we have seen that in our society in every way, and I'm thankful for each and every one of you who assumed that role. The statistics, as we are here this morning, have borne out over and over again that it is the religious practice of the father of the family that above all determines the future of the attendance of the family to church. If a father goes to church and attends church regularly, then it is 70 times more likely that their children will go to church and attend church regularly. So in that sense, we must not, men, we must not overlook our duty to be faithful and good and godly fathers. In all the roles that we have, this one is of prime importance. In fact, for me, as we come to our passage today, the ninth commandment, I can honestly say that I knew it was wrong to lie before I knew this commandment was in the Bible. My father taught me that. And I'm sure each and every one of you can say the same thing. And I can never, I honestly can say this, I can never remember my father lying to me. So I believed him. I believed him when he told me things. I believed him when he taught me. I believed him ultimately when he told me about Jesus. When he told me of Christ and what he'd done for me, I knew my father wouldn't lie. And of course, that should be the testimony of each and every one of us. 
And I'm thankful for our Father who taught me that, and that is the heart of the commandment that we have this morning, the ninth commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. The heart of this commandment is that we must be truth-tellers and not liars. We must be faithful witnesses, not false witnesses. And so that is the call, I believe, this morning for all of us as believers. As the Lord comes down to speak to his people here on Mount Sinai, after redeeming them out of slavery, bringing them to the promised land, he stops here and he gives them his commandments, his law. And there as he speaks to them, he says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and goodness, Father, I thank you so much this morning for an earthly father that loved me and told me the truth, for one that told me the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and told me the truth about everything else, so I believed him, God, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful, Father, that your word is truth. I'm thankful, God, that you have spoken clearly to us of what the expectations are for us, of those of us who have believed in you and trusted you and following after you. So, so God, as we follow after you this morning, I pray that we would become a people that reflect your goodness, your kindness, your faithfulness, your honesty. We'd be a people, Father, that reflect your love and your grace and your mercy. God, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that you have brought us all in this place this morning. It's not by happenstance or chance, God, that we are here. There's nobody that has just stumbled in here by luck or good fortune. God, we are all in this building. We're all in this place this morning for a reason. And that reason is the fact that you have brought us here to hear your word proclaimed and to worship you. And so, God, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for this opportunity. I'm thankful, Father, that you have allowed us this privilege. And so today, God, may Christ Jesus be exalted. May your word be held dear. All for your name and for your glory we come. In Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now the meaning of this commandment um, is the first thing we want to understand this morning. This commandment does not simply say, you shall not lie. Now, hear me when I say, I, of course it means that, you shall not lie. But it doesn't just simply say that. It says a little bit more than that whenever we come to it. It says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The immediate context of this is in the giving of the law. And so whenever the law is given, we should expect that maybe that someone would break that law. Whenever someone breaks that law, there'll be a judicial system that is appointed to handle how someone breaks the law, whether or not they are guilty of breaking that law. So when we come to this passage, the immediate context of this commandment is one for a court of law. In other words, the people of God were going into the promised land. They were going to have to live together, and there will be offenses against one another. There will be things that happen against the other. And so in those offenses or in those times, whenever charges are brought to someone, you must not bear false witness against your neighbor. You must not bear false witness against your neighbor. God was not concerned merely to give Israel good laws. 
Giving them good laws would not just merely be enough. He wanted to protect the whole judicial process. In other words, there are many reasons why people may give false testimony. There are many reasons why people may lie. People may lie because of greed. They lie because they want more of something. People may lie because of hatred or slander against someone else. People may lie because of peer pressure, crowd pressure, They may lie because of conspiracy theories that are going on that have have cropped up. They may lie because of favoritism. They may lie because of family loyalties. They may lie because of fear of consequences. In fact, when we look at this passage, there are all kind of reasons why someone may bear false witness against their neighbor. And all of those reasons kind of carry over as to why someone may lie, period. We lie for all kind of reasons. The entire judicial system, however, as the Lord says, the entire judicial system must be grounded in the truth. There's no way that we can properly keep these commandments. There's no way we can properly uh, adjudicate all of these commandments unless there is truth. Now, everyone in this room, I'm sure, hates liars, right? I mean, well, I, I don't even try to speak too, too angrily about that. We, we don't like being lied to. We don't like being told something that's not true. We don't like that. In fact, as a, as a parent, as a father, even now, there's one thing I ask my kids to never do. You can do some crazy stuff sometimes, and I'll handle that. But if you lie to me about doing crazy stuff, that's when I really get mad. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And so it's, it's this idea of lying that we cannot keep going. We, we don't like it, but in many ways, that's odd for us because we are kind of ambivalent in this passage. While we don't like being lied to, many of us will lie in some ways at any opportunity we can. If that lie will help us, if there's some fear of consequences, if there's some fear of going on, if there's some pressure on us, if we think we'll be thought less of if the truth were known about us, then we'll squeeze in there a little a little lie if it'll help us. So while we don't like being lied to, we will use it for our own benefit at some times. But what we see in this passage is that if you're going to break the ninth commandment, then you've really broken the third commandment as well. Because all of the system that is here, as you understand this, all of the system that is here, especially the court system of Israel, all of it is here is done under the name of God. In fact, the law given is God's words. God says these things. And so to lie is to dishonor God and to take his name even in vain. We understand this today well, I'm sure, if we think of the courtroom. When we appear in court, and I want to go ahead and let y'all know, I have never done that. But I use when we appear in court just to include everybody. When we appear in court, we put our hand on the Bible, right? Putting ourselves in the context that this is under God's authority, not just the authority of the system. And what do we say? We promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. There's something here that we need to understand that the entire system, the entire court system that is given, not only here in Israel, but even the one we have, is built upon people telling the truth. Upon people telling the truth. That's the immediate context of what this means. After Exodus chapter 20 and the 10 are given, you'll see other laws that are given. And if someone is going to bring a charge against another, we must believe that that person is telling the truth. And if you're not telling the truth, the whole system fails. There's something more here as well. 
This commandment, like all the other commandments, is a comprehensive one. One that doesn't just apply to the courtroom, but teaches us that God forbids any type of falsehood. One that works from the top down, even as we understand this. You shall not commit murder. We recognize that the Bible says that it's not just the murder you should not commit, but it's a hatred in your heart. So it's comprehensive. It goes from the largest category all the way down. Everything is covered. So you don't bear false witness in a court of law. You definitely don't bear false witness or lie to one another either. And this is the understanding that God is forbidding any type of falsehood in our life for us telling any type of falsehood. We recognize all kind of lies, don't we? We think about this. My granddaddy called them whoppers. Y'all ever heard the whopper? My granddaddy, in fact, made up something else because I felt like he felt like sometimes I came up with some even bigger ones. He called those golly whoppers. I don't know if y'all remember or ever heard that. We recognize all type of lies from the golly whoppers to the whoppers to the white lies, the small ones that we think are easy and, 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 and so fluidly come off of our tongue to the half truths, the flatteries, the fibs, the stories, the overstatements, the exaggerations, the misleading, the misquoting, the misinterpreting. All of these things that we do are not telling truth. They are giving over to some type of falsehood. They're not giving the whole truth. And when we, when we use these things or incorporate these things into our life, into our everyday speech, it's not only a front to God, but it harms others, the passage is telling us. You don't do this to your neighbor if you were to tell them a half-truth and they are to believe it, you are harming them from not knowing the truth. If you were to tell them a flattery that's not true, then they are to believe it. You are harming them and not know the truth. And that becomes the whole point of this. So we as believers, above all else, we must do a couple things. We must watch what we say. We must watch what we say. We know the old saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names or words will never hurt me, right? Everyone in this room knows that that is not true. There are some old sayings that are true, but this one's not true. We recognize that words can tear down and destroy in a moment. We recognize that words can defeat us. We recognize that words can harm us greater than sticks and stones ever possibly could. They can leave scars that are there forever. And so what must we do? We must make sure that we are guarding our words. For great damage is done by the tongue. Great damage is done by the words that we use. Let's consider, if you will, with me for a moment, the words of the Apostle James there in James uh, chapter 3. In James chapter 3 in the New Testament, James begins to tell of the dangers of the tongue. He says in chapter 3, verse 2, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle, to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. 
James here is giving the importance of the tongue. It may be a small muscle in your body, but it boasts of great things and it leads and guides your whole direction of your life, he says. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. And I'm sure many of you are thinking of somebody right now that has not tamed their tongue. You're thinking of that person who, who just speaks off the cuff and says things that are harmful without thinking. And in many, many times we just kind of overlook it and say, well, that's just them. That's how they are. What James is saying is this. The tongue can do more damage than you can ever possibly know or imagine by the words it says. And so be careful. Watch what it says. In fact, he says, no one can tame the tongue. It cannot be tamed by mankind. We know that it is only the Spirit of God that can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, James says in verse 8, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James is saying that the tongue must be guarded and watched. Why? Because out of the tongue we both bless God and we curse others. And this cannot possibly be. Here, James gives the idea of a spigot. Y'all know what a spigot is. I grew up on spigots. James gives the idea of a spigot. You cut the spigot on. It cannot at the same time produce fresh water out of it and salt water out of it. They cannot happen. If one is coming, the other one can't be coming. They cannot mix in this way. And so what he's saying is what comes out of your mouth, what comes out of your mouth is going to testify to who you are and what you believe and what you love. We talk about the things we love. Just walk around the church this morning. Walk around and have conversations with others and you'll hear everyone talking about different things from grandkids to children, right? You'll hear them talking about sports. You'll hear them talking about every little thing. We'll hear them talking about food here. Come closer to 12 if you know what I mean. Why is this? Because we speak about, we talk about the things we love. The things we love. So we must be careful, James is saying. We must guard what we say because we cannot have both praise come out of our mouth and curses come out of our mouth. God is not mocked and he's not fooled. We come in here and we sing, my sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. It is well, it is well with my soul. We come in here and sing that. We sing, Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. We sing those things and how us singing that praise of God is eliminated and crossed out when we step out of this place to curse others and to blast them. James is saying it's impossible. You're only showing who you are. The tongue must be guarded 
The tongue must be guarded. It can do great damage. Years of trust can be destroyed in a moment. Years of faithfulness can be lost in an instant with the tongue. And just like we must watch what we say, not only must we watch what we say, we must also watch how we say it. Not only do we watch what we say, but we also watch how we say it. This is the point that Paul is making in Colossians chapter 4 when he says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know you ought to answer each, how you ought to answer each person. Or even more clearly in Exodus chapter 4. In Exodus chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is teaching on the gifts in the church and how each one is given a gift to use for the glory of God and the building up of the church and how each person has these gifts. So he says in Ephesians 4, verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitfulness. Paul is saying God has built us up and he's given us each other in the church, leadership, teachers, all of these things, one another, so that we will be built up, so that we will not be tossed to and fro, so that we would become mature in the faith. And so rather than speaking ill, rather than using the tongue and the gifts God has given us to curse others, he says in verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. We speak the truth. We don't tell lies. We don't tell half-truths. We don't tell fibs, whoppers, or golly whoppers. We don't do any of those things. We speak the truth, and we speak the truth how? In love. In love. Many come up and they'll say some of the harshest things, right? I've been through this so many times. They say some of the harshest things, and what do they follow it up with? I'm just telling the truth. No, you're just being mean. You see, the scriptures tell us it's not just about telling the truth. It's about telling the truth in love. Yes, we watch what we say. There's no way we think we're going to get away with praising God on Sunday morning and cursing him and everybody else throughout the week. There's no way we think we should get away with that. But not only that, it's not only that we stop telling lies, it's that we tell the truth and that we tell the truth with love and graciousness. Seasoned with salt, the scripture says. Christians above all else should not be mean. Christians above all else should be loving and patient and kind with one another. But we should never, ever, ever compromise truth in that process. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us this. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You can speak in the tongues of angels, it says. And you can speak in the tongues of men and angels. And if you don't have love, it's just noise. Painful noise. 
The scripture says not only do we watch what we say, that we are to be people of, of truth, telling truth, but we're to be doing it in a loving and gracious, seasoned with salt kind of way. And thinking and considering this on this Father's Day, I want to take you to understand something. I believe this above maybe anything else. The way we use our tongue and the way we use our language begins to demonstrate who our Father is. In John chapter 8, in John chapter 8, Jesus is making this distinction quite clear as he's speaking to the Pharisees who have made some claims about Abraham being their father and, and they've never been enslaved to anyone and all these other things in John chapter 8. You get to Jesus and he says, listen, if, 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 you, if God was your father in heaven, then you would believe me, Jesus says, because I've come from him. And then he turns it on them and in John 8, 44, he says, you are of your father the devil. And why is this? Your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Here Jesus makes it clear where the lies come from. Lies come from Satan himself. If you remember back in Genesis chapter 3, this is exactly what he did. You will not surely die. He lied to them. He deceived them. And in his lying and in his deception, he led even to murder, the murdering of Cain and Abel. As, as the Lord said to him, Satan is crouching at your door to, to consume you, Cain. And the lies led to murder. And this is what's happened throughout history. Satan is constantly giving lie. And every lie that stands here today is a demonic stance against the truth of the Lord God Almighty. And so lies come from Satan. And he says, you're not of your father who is in heaven. You're of your father the devil, Jesus says. You do what your father did. You betray who you are and who you belong to by how you speak, by how you hold fast to lies. Here he says, if you're a liar, you're just doing what the father, the devil, has taught you to do. But here you see the difference. The devil is the father of lies. He's been a liar from the beginning. But as the scriptures tell us, God is not a man that he should lie. Titus chapter 1 verse 2, In hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. Hebrews 6.18, It is impossible for God to lie. Jesus in John chapter 14.6, He is the way, the truth, and the life. The Spirit of God is even referred to as the Spirit of truth in Peter's epistle. Over and over again, we see that the God of Scripture is one that not only doesn't lie, He can cannot lie. Anybody ever had that question asked, what's one thing God cannot do? And who, we who believe God can do everything, we hold fast that he can do it all. But there is one thing the scripture says he cannot do. He cannot sin against his very nature. God cannot lie. So every word that he has given is trustworthy. In the beginning, I told you, I'm thankful for a dad who never lied to me because I knew when he told me the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ, I knew it was true. Why? Because he never lied to me about the small things either. And so it is with our Father in heaven. 
He's never lied. So the scriptures lay it out for us then. You have two fathers here. You were of your father, the devil, who is a liar. And if you love lies, you're only betraying what your father has done. Or you were of your father in heaven who is telling the truth and loves the truth. And your life becomes one to testify to the truth. Satan's children are liars. They reflect the father. And Revelation chapter 21 says that no liars will be in heaven. But those of us who have been adopted into God's family, those of us who have been called out of that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son, those of us who have been redeemed out of our sin and brought into the marvelous light of the glorious truth of the gospel, those of us who call God Father whenever we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, those of us who hold to those things and believe that God has saved us and redeemed us. We must reflect the Father who has adopted us into his family. So Paul says, therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Here, we are to reflect the Father. In fact, in fact, we are called to be witnesses to the Father. Notice if we go back to the commandment, it says you shall not bear false witness to your neighbor, against your neighbor. The scriptures teach us over and over again, we are witnesses. And either we're going to be false witnesses or truth-telling witnesses. Either we're going to be witnesses that speak falsely or lies, or we're going to be witnesses that tell of the truth. We're going to speak the gospel. In fact, when we read scripture, that's what we're called to do, right? The Lord calls us as witnesses. When we read John's gospel, we read of John the Baptist who was a witness to the light. He was telling of the light. He was giving the light. When we read in Acts, we are called to be witnesses of the truth, going out and sharing the word of God. We are called to be witnesses. And as witnesses, we must not bear false witness. We must bear true witness of the one true and living God who has come to save us and redeem us. And when we bear true witness, it will speak some difficult truths as in all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death these are not easy things for us to swallow the fact that we must repent of our sin and turn to the living God if we're going to find salvation you cannot save yourself so all the more as we speak the truth we speak it in love we speak it in 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 grace we speak it in mercy we give the truth in these things but we must bear true witness And bearing true witness, bearing true witness today in our culture, in our culture that is prone to lies and deception over and over and over again, conspiracy theories and flatteries, misinterpretations, in our culture that is prone to all of those things, it is a revolutionary act for believers to speak the truth in love. And so we go against what is dark. We go against what is evil and we speak the truth in love. And in speaking the truth in love, we have no fear. And we also know that when the word of God is spoken in love and in truth, it never returns void. They hear it. And God's word through the power of his spirit does work. We, every one of us in this room, are called to be witnesses. The question is, will we be false witnesses or will we be true witnesses?
and our desire as we live our life based upon the truth of God and what he has done for us. Our desire is that when people hear us, they don't question whether or not we're telling them the truth. And the only way that can happen is if we live a life of telling the truth. If we live a life not based upon falsehood, but a pace based upon truth. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, when he speaks about taking oaths, he says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Here in that sentence, I find it important for us to realize that whenever I'm telling the truth, I shouldn't have to beg you to believe me. Whenever I'm telling the truth, I shouldn't have to beg you to hear me. I swear, I swear, I shouldn't have to do any of those things. Why? Because my life has been evidenced by the truth. And it has been lived out by the truth. And I've spoken the truth. And so when I speak, it should be the case that others believe. And that should be the case for each and every one of you. Your life will reflect especially in how you speak the truth. Your life will reflect your Father. Reflect your Father. And my prayer is that as your life of truth-telling is, is there, that you'll reflect the one true Father who is in heaven, not the Father of lies. Not the Father of lies. I'm thankful for Jesus I want you to know, friends, I have lied before. I don't know if that's a big revelation to some of y'all. I don't know if that disqualifies me, but I have. In fact, my grandfather named Gollywhoppers after me. But the Bible says no liars will be in heaven. But I believe one day I'll be there. And why is that? Because the blood of Jesus washes me clean. And the truth of the matter is, if we're all in this room, the truth of the matter is we all recognize we deserve. We deserve death. We deserve hell. But there's a greater truth than that. The greater truth than that is that the grace of God is alive and well. And that Jesus Christ shed his own blood. He was not a liar. He never told a lie. He told the truth in every way. But he, came, he became a liar for me on the cross. And he took that sin in my place and he crushed it. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the tree and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. God has saved me. And he can save you as well. And my desire for the rest of my life is to tell the truth about it. In every way and in every, everything. To reflect my great Father. Let's pray together. Father, help us this morning to love you and to serve you. Help us this morning, Father, to reflect you. If someone is here today that doesn't know you, God, I pray... I pray today that they will no longer buy into the lies of this world, but believe the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that they would seek after anyone who could speak to them. They trust who's been telling the truth for years, God, to be witnesses for them. May they seek after them so they would know this truth. God, I pray that no one is confused here this morning. That your word says no liars will be in heaven. I pray, God, that it will be clear 
that everybody who is in heaven has been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so God, if someone here today is not trusting in Jesus, they're still believing lies that they can save themselves, God, may they forsake those lies and come to the truth. God, I pray that everybody in this room would be faithful witnesses that speak the truth in love to everyone they see. May our lives, God, be testified by the truth. Today, if you're here, Jesus is here. His Spirit is here and it's working. Hopefully it's working in each and every heart. And I believe that He is. And today, if you feel Jesus calling you to the truth of the gospel, then I'll be standing up front, ready to receive you, ready to point you to someone who can tell you more about that truth. Today, let us rededicate ourselves to be truth tellers, seasoned with salt to a world that is desperate, to a world that believes lies. May we speak the truth. I'll be standing here in the front as we stand together and sing. We're ready to receive you this morning. Let's stand together.